listening to Longwave. This is Mike Harding, and it's Nine-Sided Room by Steve Roden, who's with us today in the studio.
This is Long Wave with Mike Harding, and I'm delighted to have in the studio with us today, for the first time on Doublap, I believe, Steve Roden. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Are you all settled and comfortable? Yep, move, sure. move your stand around a bit there. Good. Okay. So, we've just listened to Touch Radio piece, Nine-Sided Room, which you did for us ten years ago. Can you believe it? No. <laughs> I know. Uh, on it goes. <clears throat> and um, tell us a bit about that piece, if, if you can remember, of course. Uh, the thing, the idea was that I had um, released maybe six vinyls at that time, um, over time. And I just wondered what would it sound if all of them were layered together to see if they would be dissonant or harmonic or they'd love each other, hate each other, and, and see what might happen. I mean, I, I like creating accidents. But did you do any mixing, editing afterwards, or did you just leave it all to I did. I chance? did a little of uh, volume stuff, Okay. but I didn't do any editing. You didn't get it stuck into the gubbins. Right. You just left it. Right. So you're reading about your work and knowing a bit about you. I mean, you're from Los Angeles. You yeah. born and grew up here, and have you ever left? Um, probably. I mean, I have traveled a lot, <laughs> but I've never lived anywhere. You've not lived outside yeah. of. The I, li- I lit- lived in France for a year in college. Okay. Um, and that's really about it. Right. Yeah. And, I mean. And what was it that got you going? Why did you start making work, doing sonic or visual work? Yeah. I mean, it's such a labyrinthian <laughs> path oh you've um, got plenty of time yeah. <laughs> um, when I was uh, like maybe 13 14 I started to get interested in music and um, I went to see the Woodstock movie and when I saw Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem on an electric guitar it, it just blew my mind because it was something that I couldn't understand and it felt so outside <clears throat> excuse me that was not just about playing I mean later obviously I'm looking back but it was such a surprising strange thing for something to appear right and probably at that time I didn't even understand that it was a negative gesture right and as I got older, um, by maybe four, by 14, what's well, a good story? I went to the Whiskey A Go-Go with a couple of friends to see um, uh, Jimi Hendrix, um, a fake Jimi Hendrix. I can't remember his name. Randy Hansen. And he would play in the whiskey um, on sunset, and he would dress up like... Jimi Hendrix and and you know they brought him out in a coffin and they opened the coffin and there was purple purple smoke came out when he started singing purple haze and um and I just thought it was the most incredible thing I could have ever seen in my <laughs> life right because I'd never see him alive because he was dead um, before I was born so um so about Maybe three months later, me and my friends, two of my friends, we rode our bikes up to the whiskey because we couldn't drive at this point. And we wanted to go see this 
fake Jimi Hendrix guy in. And I don't know why they let us in, but we got tickets for four bucks. We went inside, and there was the Screamers, which was a really early Los Angeles sort of art punk band. Incredible. I mean, completely incredible. And we had hair down to our shoulders. I Lord knows what kind of T-shirt I was wearing. And instead of getting our butts kicked, everyone was nice to us. We were like jumping up and down, you know, in the mosh pit. And we were just like, we, like we, like that thing in Star Trek where you go in the little closet and you come out somewhere else. And that's what it was for us. And it changed everything for us, not just music, but our outlook of so many different things that just from an kind of accidental, um, going into a door and um and so i f i always kind of feed into those moments because i mean randy hansen was probably a good guitar player and and he probably loved Jimi hendrix and wanted to be him but the other thing was so much more pleasurable because it had a different kind of integrity mm. and as a 13 14 year old you know we were starting to, you know, Reagan was president, and it was we were we weren't like punks, but we were starting to like little doors were opening for us, you know. And I feel like when I, I mean, and, and so I made loud music for a long time, um, well, like maybe five six years, and um, and then I decided to make quiet music because the punk scene started to be not about any of the good things that it was and it became more violent and I think people were doing things for reasons that weren't of interest for me and um but I've always m music has always been just so important to everything for me in so many ways and all of these sort of weird situations that I've gone through to get to some of these things to find these ways and um I don't know. I mean, it's hard to articulate all of that. Too. Well, how do you feel uh, looking back now about the band, the seditionaries? Yeah, we were. I um, mean, we were terrible, but we but we were young and we were trying to do something that had some kind of something we could own as as young people, and we wanted to change things. I mean, we were, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing, but we knew there was more for us than just doing cool stuff or you know trying we didn't want to be successful we didn't want to make money you know we wanted to do something that felt like it was ours and that we could we could bring about this culture in a way that was different from everyone else in high school who hated us <laughs> and and music always came to the core of that one of the things that perplexes um, us overseas people about High, the way high school is interpreted through the media in the U.S. is what a singularly unpleasant place it is to go to school. Yeah. Whichever TV show or film, whatever, you know, you refer to. Or, it's like, was it really that bad? Cause, I mean, I do, if so, why aren't you all screaming degenerate lunatics? Well, I think... Or maybe you are. But. Well, I think for us, because there were only maybe five people in our high school that were into punk music and we you know we dressed weird and we had colored hair and we got beat up and 
And I think for us, it just had meant more than that. The rest of high school was kind of boring and we didn't have a lot of friends. It wasn't a sad thing, you know, we felt special because we were doing something different. And I think it was a, you know, at 14, you're starting to kind of think about what kind of person you're starting to become. I mean, we certainly weren't adult. <laughs> no, but your case. identity has already been through complex yeah. changes as you grow up, hasn't it? And we, we wanted to fight for something. Well, you have your first little inkling of what it's like to have some control over your own life. Right. At that right. Pretty and my, much and, at that point. And, and my parents were, you know, they, you know, they were pretty permissive, and I didn't have fights with my parents when I cut my hair. And you know, a lot of friends who had older parents, they got in fights with their parents all the time and stuff like that. And our our parents were were pretty smart. They let us do a lot of things without fighting over them so they didn't become bigger things mm. right and um, I, I think I just was really lucky to have two parents that were both um, really open in a way and they of course they did lots of drugs when they were young and they were you know into music and you know they you know they weren't like crazy hippies but they but they were alternative people as well right right Where, whereabouts was the, was the school which it, district in mid Wilshire Okay. Sort of close to where we were today, almost. Okay, yeah. right, right. A little bit south of where we were. Right. So, because I've, I've, I've never lived in the same place for, you know, all my life, or right. anything remotely approaching right. Right. half or third of my life, and I just right. kind of, <laughs> right. stupid question, what's it like? Because, I mean, right. everything's so familiar, and yet as you change, as you grow and change, does it right. then sort of turn into a sort of ghostly replica of itself? Well, the problem with Los Angeles is that probably every 10 years a lot of things disappear so there are cha there are changes um, architecture things taken down um, there's not much respect the for, the for older establishments older yeah. buildings or they just get them out yeah a lot of very very important modernist buildings have been torn down um, in the last 20 years for sure and I think that's such an important aspect of our culture that's mostly disappearing. The relationship between architecture and sound is a increasingly um, written about, studied yeah. uh, feature, isn't it? This, this whole idea of um, using the space that you've got, which is not a two-dimensional thing, and the move from experimental sound going from stereo or two-channel or mono right. to multi-channel. Is that something that you've started to, to explore? Um, I think the conversation between sound and architecture is really interesting to me. Um, I think it's kind of, I don't know how I would describe it. I think there's a lot of interesting pockets within of that. I don't know that there's a larger kind of like space for those two things to always go together in some way. Well, of course, in, 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 let's say, the, the olden days, you know, when sure. they were building cathedrals, they were, they were sonic creations. Right. There was a level of expertise that we don't seem to have now. And, and there's one cathedral in, in the UK called Lincoln, which is a tuned building. It's tuned to, mm. to a frequency. And, you know, they knew that they had to amplify the, right. the voice of God through this building. Right. It had to communicate. It had to be the loudest man-made sound around, right. you know. So they had to know what they were doing, and, and you can tell right. when you go into these buildings. So 
we seem to have somehow lost that as we got maybe it was to do with population growth and all sorts of other other things but I think there's much more interest now isn't there in in this aspect as you were saying I, and, and I mean Carsten Nikolai was an architect wasn't he right yeah yeah I wanted to study architecture and I decided to, to go into uh, to fine art instead and I always think about the relationship also between those two things mm. how to take the ideas of ar architecture and using that towards building something in some way everything's made of pieces and how do you put them together how do you break them down there's like a really special way of making things when you can take the parts and shake them up and put them back different and suddenly you have something new in a way even like the the record we just talked about mm. you know and also the 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 journey of acoustics and specialist acoustics from i mean a lot of the the expertise was used in mil for military purposes and right some historians even say the allies won the first world war because they had they knew their acoustics better so they could more accurately lob shells right. into the opposing you know and as it got better throughout throughout the first world war and more and more accurate and right. and and yet we seem to have got, sort of got some of it back and applied it to uh, more creative um, peaceful means right which is no bad thing right so you've brought some vinyl along and then later on you're going to do a live spot for us which is sure which is fantastic and you were saying earlier we had we had lunch in fred 62's earlier and you were saying earlier that you've done quite a lot of live shows and not many of them have been very good and i which is very hard on yourself um but you know you've certainly played in a, a touch event and it was fantastic so yeah. my expectations are actually pretty high right. well, no pressure there well, you have to leave right now <laughs> <laughs> but do you enjoy playing live is it something that you really feel is a you know, I do. I mean, I think it's, it's um, especially with the modular, because it's relatively new, and it's a technical machine in a way. It's, I'm an improviser. I have no background in music, traditionally. I, don't, I never played an instrument. I can't read music. Um, you know, cassettes were really the thing for me, where I could record things on cassettes and play around with them, and using mostly cheap gear like bells and little contact mics and things like that and I think um, for me in the last two years I've really stripped down everything that I felt that I knew so I got rid of all my pedals all my contact mics all of the gear that I have been performing with for probably 20 years and I put it all in a box and Robert and Jan uh, really suggested that I should go look into the modular and and it did two things that that I were really against um, the way that I work I don't use expensive materials that has changed <laughs> <laughs> and also um, I can't really use the tool unless I have some information is also something I've never wanted to do. Okay. And I'm still not very happy with that part of it. Right. Actually, both of those sides. But I needed a change. I felt like I knew what I was doing. And for the same thing, two years ago, I, I had a painting show in my gallery, and I, um, I decided to make paintings without using brushes. I used uh, acrylic instead of um, oil paint. 
and I used uh, tape, a whole bunch of just like funky materials so that I couldn't command the work. You know, I had to follow the work and to be immersed in the process. That's always the process for me. I'm way more excited when I'm making things than listening back to them, you know. Sure. You've given us some vinyl to play. While we set it up and sure. let's have a listen to one of the sides, could you sure. tell, so uh, tell us a bit about it, what it is? It's a perfect timing because um, these recordings are really the first uh, pieces that I did with the modular uh, publicly. And I, I made these pieces for a dance, um, a dance work and uh, and so yeah, so they're very early and very small.
You're listening to Longwave, this is Mike Harding, and I'm in the studio with Steve Roden, and you're listening to Small Songs for Cac Jerby, which came out on his own label, Papa Voce, in 2016.
listening to KZUT 99.1 LPFM. Thank you very much. And it's Dublab and it's Long Wave with Mike Harding. And you're listening to Steve Roden, who in a few minutes is going to be performing live in the studio with us. Meanwhile, back to Cac Jerby. Steve, you've been releasing records now for... I looked on your discography um, list yeah. and you, you, you've had a peripatetic home with labels, for sure, haven't you? Yes. And also uh, formats, too, because yeah. vinyl, just been playing vinyl there. Nice to see it going round. Right. Something about... Right. Um, and CDs as well, and all, but also, of course, books and, and um, artefacts and everything. Um, have you just not found a label that's reflected what you do or, or has it just not worked out that way or why haven't you got a, a stable home that's, why haven't you got a, a stable home a, <laughs> that's a good question i think because i'm not very consistent and i'm not really interested in being um consistent like a brand you know and i feel like again going back to sort of the the ideals out of the punk scene is that I didn't want to come up with something, feel it out, make it work, make it bigger, make more people love it. And I just never really felt inclination to spend my time that way. I mean, I think obviously there's a lot of wonderful artists whose work I love that's all about precision. But I am not interested in precision as part of my practice. Um, and so I think that I, I'm independent in a way. I'm not trying to push myself up. But I like to work a certain way. Making work for me tends to be fairly solitary. 
and it allows me to 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 stray and come back you know when you're working with a label you you, you know things have to fit together there's an identity which is great i mean it's, it's label well, well well there's a narrative and i think is right. is that what you've i mean well, you just said you didn't willfully go a narrative but no if some i mean if a if I, that's why i've mostly put out things on um labels that are my friends who've been you know take care of me and um but i don't I, when i work on on anything that i'm working on i don't want to hear other voices um unless they're voices from the past or you know having conversations with books or with other people or other recordings and things but i don't know i mean i probably don't push it very hard you know i i don't i'm not so good with business which raises the question then of how do you manage i mean you you need to feed your well dog. i'm lucky and, yeah. because i i exist in two worlds and in the art world um when i'm lucky enough to have a show that goes well it's so much more money than i could ever get releasing a record hmm. and and i think it's again it's it's not really about that it's but it's about my um ability to be able to step into both of these places and i have you know i have friends that are that are painters and and they think i should shouldn't waste my time working with sound and i have sound friends who don't understand why would i paint both of those are very odd perspectives aren't they of course and and i'm trying to create some side of thing that's not um that's regular you know i like things with fuzzy edges I, mm. i like things that fall apart i like things that have fallen apart and i can put them back together right and i think it's it's much more about just being immersed in being a human and what can come out of certain conversations and how i can use my hands as a as um as opposed to my computer right and you know it's hard for me to make mistakes with the computer i make a lot of mistakes when i'm painting and when i'm working with sound well and when when you're working with sound you you've got some machines Sure. Okay, without straying too far from the mic, um, sure. I know your inclination will be to go to them, and you're about to do something for us in the studio, which is really sweet of you, very very much appreciated. Could you tell us what what kit you brought in today? You, you always, I see whenever I see you, you've got a box in your hand with something <laughs> in it, but you you don't always reveal what's in the box. So what have you brought for us today? This is really simple. It's a it's a small. modular case with uh maybe 12 modules um a couple of them are pretty new so i'm not quite sure what they do um and i'm just i mean for me a lot of music is about the pace of something how it moves from beginning to end and the modular so far has been tough to find that but also it it does seem like it there's like a place where it might work like i i might be 
it's like going out with someone that you really want to go out with, but you really don't want to go out with them. But you think <laughs> if you went out with them, and you know it's not going to work, I'm sort of on the edge of that. Right. You know, like <laughs> it's a really sexy box, but it yeah. does a bunch of good things. But I'm going to have to really learn a lot. You know, our relationship between me and this machine, it might take a while. It's, it's an affair, isn't it? It's a yeah. love affair. And I don't want to do it the right way. And I'm not trying to, you know, make dance music or like old 60s sci-fi music or synthesizer music. Trying to use the tool in a way that, not to break it, but to find other ways to use it so that the work has a little bit of of um, it's got to be human in some way for me. Right. And the, for me, I mean, I, I all my friends who work with sound work with computers and they're happy with that and and it's conducive to the kind of work that they make and for me I need to have these situations where it breaks down not the th breakdowns that come with computers because that's a nightmare that's a, yeah it's another thing but these things are sort of in between for me because I use my hands I know when I'm plugging things together I know surprises will come about you know sometimes I don't get what I want, um, but I'm not sure I know what I want until it appears. Mm. And I think I have a friend who's a painter, and he he basically knows when he starts a painting. He knows what he's going to make, and he executes it. Mm -hmm. And that's just not a process that interests me. Um, I'm not in line trying to be better than the next person. I'm trying to more like a you know, like, like, um, what's the word? Like, like a ritual, you know? So I'm not doing this for just to make sound, but to feel immersed in something that has a purpose that's a little more above the head, you know? Well, there, I mean, there, <clears throat> there are the perhaps more mundane, um, like when you're reading a newspaper, the right. physical act of uh, right. the sound it generates when you turn exactly. the pages. Uh, all of all influences how you receive the information right. with re reading a flat screen right. it's it's a totally so how are you can you generate something for us now and I uh, try if you want to push your mic away sure and we'll uh, we'll get you going and these are my phones or are you gonna go through those okay some noises off which is part of the unplanned Steve Roden. So, okay. Well, Steve's going to set up, and while that's happening, you're listening to Longwave. I'm Mike Harding, and I have a monthly show on Dublab, which is uh, a great honour and a privilege. And it's all archived on Dublab.com, and my website, which is mscharding.net, also has some additional information about each show. So, sorry. Are you, I'm just chatting away to the audience. Okay. It's a don't worry about me, Steve. You carry on. And uh, when you're ready... You'll, you'll cue me or... You, you go. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all set up for you. So um, let me know and I'll, I'll lose the mics.
You're listening to Longwave. This is Mike Harding, and I've got Steve Roden in the studio with me. And uh, this is The Radio, and uh, that came out on Sonoris in 2000, uh, in 1999. Um, great effort there to, to uh, find the date. Thank you, Sari. Um, we had 2002, uh, Steve had 1995, and it was, in fact, 1999. But before that, you had... Steve Roden live in the studio uh, for the first time in Dublin, which was fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. And if you want to know more about this intriguing, puzzling guy uh, who's sitting opposite me, uh, steveroden.com. I think there's tons of information on your website. And you've got a show coming up in France, uh, 13th of September, Septembre 13, in Mulhouse, um, in a Kunsthalle, which is... As you were just saying, not so many of them around in North America, these kinds of institutions. Right. It's a different, different setup. Um, what else have you got planned? Any, any physical releases 
coming up. You've just done a, a, a box set, haven't you? Of, of, yeah, uh, with Sor- Sonoris. Right. And uh, it's two boxes, an uh, earlier one, and they just finished the more recent one. It's all stuff that hasn't been released. Okay. So archive material yeah. and... Yeah. Stuff that was, you know, one-offs and things like that. Right. Things from compilations and things like that. Right. So Sonoris have uh, uh, helped you out a few times. It, it's, it's not yeah, quite he, true he's, that he's, you haven't He's had been a... really, really kind to me. I mean, he's right. put out both of those, and, uh, and he put out the radio. So I've known him since 1999. Right. And he doesn't put out a lot of stuff, so it's nice, it's nice to work with someone who's, you know, a nice person. Yeah, and, absolutely. And yeah. Where, where are they based? In France, okay. in Bordeaux. Okay, right. Yeah. I've, I've not I've not met them, but I obviously yeah. know about them. Um, field recordings are part of your armory, your tool. Yeah. Are, you, are you all sort of kitted up with um, beautiful multi-channel, no size of hand digital recorders and stuff? No. How, how do you do it? I mean, is it? A- I mean, I now I use my phone a lot, and um, you know, I'm not really. The problem for me is when I go out and to really actually make field recordings, I don't want to carry a bunch of stuff. My back hurts. And um, and I like to feel... I don't want to worry about my expensive, you know, recorders and things. So I usually use a lot of cheap materials. And uh, I don't usually listen to things back until I come home. Uh, so there's a lot of surprises, and I think a lot of times, you know, I'll play around with the with the mic on a cassette player and you know shove it into leaves and things and trying to not to replicate the beautiful scenery, but to again how to engage with something in a way that's um, not about um, always being in charge. You know, I Is mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I was in that, that trip with, with Jana and Chris Watson when we were in Norway, probably now, probably like five, six years ago, and it was so interesting because all of us had different kinds of gear, and, you know, Chris took, what, two hours to set up his setup because he had so much stuff and he was like so precise. It was amazing. I got to stand in his gear and hold with his headphones on, and I was like, whoa, I've never heard anything so perfect like that in a way that was like, it was amazing. And But a lot of the other artists were like, what are you using? But that's not what you're trying to do. Is it? Yeah. It's a different, completely different approach. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, the, the, the miniaturization of gear has saved a generation of backs. Right. I, I mean, right. you know, I, I think it, it's with, with um, uh, cellists and double bass players have right. constant right. problems with this right. kind of thing, but they can't miniaturize, can right. they? So, right. Although um, Hilda Gunnadotti has built her own um, uh, machine, you know, wow. which is a lot lighter and a lot more portable. Uh, and increasing trouble with airlines booking... Right. Booking instruments right. on and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, Steve, a big thank you very much indeed. It's been great to see you again. It's been a couple of years, I think, yeah. since uh, yeah. we hooked up. 
And sorry, thank you very much for the drop. That was very kind of you earlier. I'm trying to get the attention of someone in the studio to wind us up, (laughs) but they're in a world of their own. Maybe, sorry, you could go and... Can we have, like, the Benny Hill song? Yeah, right. (laughs) Run around the studio. Yeah, exactly. And speed that up and (laughs) shove it through your modulars. Right. That's a new... new, Double entendre, shove it through your modulus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but thank you very much indeed. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Great. Much Good appreciated. Um, so this is Longwave, the August edition, winding up. And um, I'm next uh, live on air here in November. So September and October editions will be recorded um, back home in Europe. So thanks very much indeed. And someone's arrived to do some drops. This is Kazut. KZUT 99.1. Uh, 90. Ah, where's my sheet? It's falling apart. It's. I was right. It's 99.1. And it is KZUT and it's Dub Lab. And it's a great honour to have me.